Last weekend we celebrated the tomb. But I ask that the cross would remain for this week. We know the cross in the Easter story was before the tomb, and yet the cross is what just stays before us. For we were instructed to take up our cross and follow him. When you think of a cross, many things go through your mind. When we think back to that cross, we think about the suffering. When we think of that cross, the thing that you may not think about the most is the way it's constructed. Anything that is a cross has an, it becomes an axis. It has the vertical and the horizontal. It's in that intersection, the axis. To this day, architects and engineers know that it brings balance and it gives strength. To the marksman, to the archer, it serves another purpose. It gives us focus. And so it is to the believer as we think about the cross that Jesus bore for us. It gives us strength and it gives us balance. In other words, and I love the word centered, we become centered because of that cross and by his cross. In other words, we're humans and we live and we go through life. We do business deals all week long. We have relational situations all week long. We have ups and downs. Life goes on for us. It is the cross that we are to bear in our life as well that again gives us the balance. There are so many in our minds that we've gone to church with or maybe we presently go to church with that we think, I don't know if they really live this thing. As a pastor, I've seen many a person struggle living two lives, one at church and one outside church. Did the pastor just say that? Because they feel like here, this is what's expected of me, and when I'm out there, I, I don't think about it much. You see, it's the cross that centers us, that helps us just to go through ordinary life, and yet it is there that gives us the balance, the strength. That reminds us, there's, it can be a Thursday afternoon, it can be at a sporting event, and yet there's something said or we're invited to be a part of something that we really don't want to be a part of. And it is that cross that calls on us because we remember what Jesus did for us. Galatians chapter 6, would you stand with me as we read this one verse together? Those of you visiting, we'll have you up and down several times. You'll enjoy the exercise. Verse 14 says, after a lot of statements, obviously, Paul says, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I into the world. You may be seated. You see, that was a plan. There was a plan before the foundation of the world that a cross would bear our Savior upon it. That plan involved a lot of things. It included a lot of suffering and, yes, death itself. Over the centuries, there have been those that dispute the claim that Jesus died on that cross. 
especially about the 18th century on, there has been a theory called the swoon theory that simply says Jesus didn't die on that cross, that he simply fainted by exhaustion. Oh, you'd be amazed at the followers that would believe this, that said he didn't die there. He fainted and was resuscitated in the tomb. And that's how he was able to roll that stone away and escape. The Quran teaches that Jesus was a prophet. But it also states in the Quran that Jesus died in India. In other words, disputing the claim that Jesus died on that cross. The suffering that went on on that cross is something that we cannot forget. Before Jesus went down the Via Dolorosa bearing his cross and then being nailed to that cross, in the garden there was a thing known as hematrosis that happened to him in that garden. This is where Jesus sweat great drops of blood. Hematidrosis simply is the capillaries in the sweat glands having so much psychological pressure causes them to open up enough to secrete blood into the sweat. The psychological stress that he was dealing with, knowing what was before him, this cup that he would have to drink from, the stress of your sin, of your sin, of my sin, the sin of the ages is what was ahead of him. Can you imagine the collective stress that he was bearing for us in that garden? Not to mention that by the time he is now suspended upon that cross, six hours of sheer agony. Many years ago, I played the part of Jesus in a passion play in Thomaston, Georgia. My mother was there that, that first evening. And just going through a play and having someone semi-torture me. Now, I must say that the man that I had doing that was not a very good actor. <laughs> and he would always hold it up just before he would do a strike to me. So finally, I said, Doug, you've got to hit me. Well, in the moment, he hit me. Worse than that, he spit on me. My mother was so mad. She came to our home and I would lie down in a bathtub of hot water and Epsom salts and try to, to work there. Can you imagine what our Lord went through? And this is what I reminded my mother. You see, we have to understand the suffering of that cross. Every ligament strained. Every nerve firing off, burning. Those of you that are athletes or have been a part of athletical prowesses in one way or another knows that burning sensation of that moment. Can you imagine what our Lord was suffering for us? Because it was there as was prophesied, he said, I'll be poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. The suspension on that cross, his complete body weight thrust upon that nail driven in those feet. 
The hands as well being spiked would also feel the pressure when they would have to lift themselves up again to get more oxygen. The pain. Yes, with the weight of it, every joint disjointed. The blood loss from the hands being pierced, the feet being pierced, and his brow being pierced with the thorns. All of these blood losses causing his body to go into hypervolemic shock. In other words, the great amount of blood loss that he was suffering for us, and yet six hours, oh, did he die on that cross? Absolutely. He died on that cross. He didn't just faint. Again, all these things uh, that he was experiencing had us in mind. And actually, there was a new word created as a result of this kind of suffering. We use the word to this day. It's the word excruciating. It was invented because of this experience, because it simply means out of the cross. The excruciating pain, his entire body racked with pain, bearing our sins on that cross. Today we have t-shirts, today we have jewelry, today we have a lot of things that have crosses and they are to remind us and they serve a purpose and yet nothing can take the place of that cross. Again, the penalty, the price that was paid on that cross, it cost him his blood, that precious blood. Whatever the church world is today, whatever we've become, we cannot forget the cross. Methodologies change, and yet the message has to remain the same. The suffering servant who took upon him the sins of the world, he that knew no sin became our sin. The picture was so grotesque that the Heavenly Father could no longer look upon the sun. And this is why the earth became dark at noon hour. Spurgeon put it this way, it was a midday midnight. Again, all these things coming to the price that he paid. It is Christianity, it is and only Christianity of all the face of the world that truly is a religion of faith. Every other religion stresses works. But for us, it is faith upon the one who hung on that cross. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 tells us, no matter how good our works are, we cannot be exempted from our sin. Matter of fact, this book that we hail to, that we love so much, the holy writ of God, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, tells us of itself it has one purpose. It can't save us. Its one purpose is to show us how lost we are. Its purpose is to show us that no amount of works can undo our sin. 
Many other religions basically are saying that if you do enough good works, it'll outweigh the bad works and eventually you're okay. But you see, we can't be saved by our works. It's only faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. To understand again, and I love what Paul captured, and you'll find it in Colossians chapter 2, and it simply tells us that he canceled our record as our sins were nailed to that cross. You see, there was a legal binding going on that day. Every sin we've committed causes us to fall under the law of sin and death. And we just keep adding to the list. Santa Claus wouldn't be real happy with us. Those who's been naughty, he couldn't find anybody that was nice. For we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Again, I've shared this next part so many times, and I will continue to do as long as God gives me breath to preach. The word sin goes back to an axis. It's an archer's term. It is that target. Today, those of you that enjoy archery at a target, you will notice there's something in the center of it. It's a big old red ball. It's a bullseye. But it has rings around it, red and white, alternating. Do you know what the names of those rings are to this day? Ring one is sin one. Ring two is sin two. Ring three is sin three. Now you can understand as you're focusing upon the bullseye, if you twitch as you release and you get close, but you go, your arrow goes into ring number one or sin one, you have sinned. You didn't hit the bullseye. You've missed the mark. You see, we've all sinned and fallen short of the bullseye. That's why it doesn't help for us to compare that my sins are lesser than yours. Because if you don't hit the bullseye, you've sinned. Granted, many of us don't even hit the target with our sin. We're so far off. You know who you are, by the way. It is this focus again that there was a legal binding that day And the Bible says that we were released from that. Paul would record it again in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. The price that he paid for the penalty of my sin, of your sin, was nailed to that cross as it were the blood leaving his body covering that entire cross erasing the legal document that would say we are lost again the price that he would pay seven different statements from the cross father forgive them can you imagine him forgiving those who were crucifying him those who had accused him of sin, of blasphemy. He's asking the Father for forgiveness for them. 
That hasn't changed. You and I today have forgiveness because of the price that he paid. He speaks to one of the two thieves and he says, Today you'll be with me in paradise, promising us life beyond this life. To this day, there's a paradise to be gained. There's a hell to be shunned. We can never escape this in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't water it down. From that cross, he simply would identify with us in our struggles and say, why have you forsaken me? At that midday midnight, why have you forsaken me? And yet for you and I today, it helps us in our moments of rejection, alienation, to know that he can identify with us. It was from that cross he would look to John and say, Behold your mother. And he would look to Mary, Behold your son. In other words, fulfilling the responsibility of the eldest son, making sure that the parents were taken care of. Again, helping us in our family relationship. It's from that cross he cried out, I thirst. Again, being tempted to take a narcotic at that moment. And yet, in the weakest point, of his physical frailties, he still didn't succumb to temptation. Allowing us again the privilege of knowing that we have a high priest that we can go to right now. We can obtain mercy and grace as we fall short in those moments. It's there. He simply also states, it's into your hands I commit my spirit. That total committal modeling it for us to trust our God. And finally, from that cross, he would cry out, it is finished! Finished! Finished with the last breath in him. It is finished! The price has been paid for all eternity that all may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The chiefest of sinners may find their place at the foot of the cross. Yes. The power of that cross. A man by the name of George Bernard wrote a song simply entitled The Old Rugged Cross. It took him a lifetime to write it. He was an Ohio-born boy, age 16. Dad moved him to Iowa. It was there dad would die, and he had to take the responsibility of raising the family. Salvation Army got their message out there, and he heard the gospel and gave his heart to the Lord, but had to continue to work. Wanted to study theology, but had the responsibility of working for the family to, to eat. Later on in life, he would preach. He was quite the poet, but he started changing the words to song, and it took him forever to write this song. He had to, everywhere he'd preach, he'd write down different thoughts, and finally he came up with, on a hill, far away, stood an old rugged cross. The emblem Suffering and shame. 
But then he said, but I love that old cross. Where the dearest and the best for a world of lost sinners, he was slain. I love the second verse. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. He would continue to write, to the old rugged cross I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach I'll gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. Will you sing the chorus with me? So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. You see, that is the message for us today. That old rugged cross, what does it represent? Does it have a wondrous attraction, Jim, to you when you gaze upon it? For that moment, again, reminded of all that he did for you, another little Catholic boy out of St. Louis, but not only saved you, but filled you with heaven's sweet Holy Ghost and has kept you these many years. That old rugged cross, nothing can take its place. I'll cherish it. There's been stories, one after another. I'm reminded of three that I'll share quickly. Jim Elliott, a missionary who died in 1958 in Ecuador in a mission trip to reach the Aka Indians, and they were the very ones that killed him with four others. But they found in his memoirs, his writings, he had simply wrote down, he is no fool that'll give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wow. What about David Livingston? Scottish born, English trained, London Missionary Society sent him to Africa. He would traverse the entire continent. He would be the one to name Victoria Falls as he was the first outside of the tribes there, seeing those falls, named it after Queen Victoria. His work there was so renowned that at his death, 
They shipped his body back to London. But the indigenous tribe said, we're going to remove his heart. And they kept it there in Zimbabwe. I'm reminded of one more. He's not as famous as those two, I'm sure, to most of you. A couple people in this house would recognize the name Herschel Jones. Herschel Jones was a man, just an ordinary common man in the congregation in Hamilton, Ohio, that I knew personally. Herschel attended church, but he was not born again. Herschel was a Pentecostal preacher's kid. His father had failed, and he stayed with his grandfather, who also was a Pentecostal preacher, and traveled that whole area. But you see, Herschel had seen a lot of things, and he had no confidence in church people. Seen that, been there, done that, got all the T-shirts. We went through a time of great strife in Hamilton and church, and a new church was formed. And as we were sitting in the building, not yet complete, didn't have a certificate of occupancy, but Walter Langdon was the pastor, so we were in there anyhow. Herschel was also a military man, had served many years, tough, but I remember the night that he walked down to an altar because of that old rugged cross and the price paid. And as Pastor Langdon looked at him after Herschel prayed, I'll never forget his words. He said, there's no defense for love. You see, he had tried to renounce Christianity, the cross, the tomb, church itself, but it was the love of God that wouldn't quit hounding him. He could fight anything else, but he couldn't fight the love of God. And he finally surrendered. He said, I can't defend this. It's won the victory. That's why Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Would you stand with me today?